remember me. From the beginning of the biblical narrative, God is interested, very interested in us remembering him. The act of remembering God and his love for us, his care for us, his purpose for us is a constant theme throughout scripture. In the early books, we are exhorted to remember his commandments and the great works that he has done. There's a couple examples and from Exodus and Deuteronomy. It is a theme that is repeated in the history books. As we read, there's a couple examples from Joshua and 1 Chronicles. Remember, remember, we find it in the Psalms. Remember the wonderful works he has done. King Solomon reminds us as we get up into Ecclesiastes. Remember your creator in the days of your youth and the prophets. There's an example from Malachi. Come the New Testament, we are reminded by Peter, Paul, to always remember his salvation. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. To Timothy he wrote, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That is my gospel. And Peter, therefore I intend to keep on reminding you of these things to refresh your memory so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And of course, God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, is very clear when telling us to remember him. He even establishes a new feast by which we're to practice our remembrance. And that's what we do each week when we gather here. And then, which I talked about at the beginning of the service, God too participates in remembering, and that might be proof enough of how important remembering actually is. God is part of this whole concept of remembering. So the question then is why? Why is remembering so important for us and so important for God? I think first we should probably have a clearer sense of just what the concept means in the Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew mind. For that is who wrote our scriptures. Okay, And that's something we often forget. So Michael Horton has some clear insight for us here on this. In our Western intellectual heritage, remembering means recollecting, recalling to mind something that is no longer a present reality. Nothing could be further from a Jewish conception. For example, in the Jewish liturgy, remembering means participating here and now in certain defining events in the past and also in the future. Okay? Very, very important. And this is how St. Paul understood Christ's own command for us to remember him. As Herman Ritterboss, that is a great last name Herman has. Herman Ritterboss points out when he's talking about Paul's theology of communion, he states, It is not merely a subjective recalling to mind, but an active manifestation of the continuing and actual significance of the death of Christ. And we're going to talk about this actually a little bit here. We're going to talk about the communion table. But for now, just to help us understand this idea of remembering. It's not just simply, oh yeah, I remember, you know, what happened on that day. That's not what it is. So, this important concept of remembering that runs throughout our scripture is not just this call to recollect a memory. It is something much grander. Let's consider God's remembering during the story of Noah. 
So after the flood, he put the rainbow in the sky as a sign of his covenant that he made with man at that time that he would never again allow the waters to destroy them. But for as long as we've heard the story of Noah, have you ever read it close why he put the rainbow in the sky? It has just always been assumed it was for us. That's not what the story says. This is what the story says. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember. Isn't that unbelievable? God. A sign that he will remember. Of course we remember when we see the rainbow as well. But he put it there so he would remember. And obviously... This is not a simple mental exercise God's going through of merely remembering the event. It is active participation in the covenant as ongoing and permanent. He remembers and he participates in it. It's remembering the past so that the past is included in our present and our future. It's a big concept, this Hebrew understanding of remembering. If it is a good past, like this covenant, then by remembering we bring forward that good and we allow it to inform both our current presence and our future. If it's a bad past, we remember it to learn from it and to be sure we change our presence and our future. In fact, a key element, and, and some Jewish folks would tell you it's the key element of the Seder celebration that they go through every year at Passover, is the call to never let the atrocities of the past, like slavery in Egypt, like the Holocaust, happen again. By remembering, we participate in the now and future of that event. The now and future of that event. So, this is the much fuller understanding of remembering we are faced with throughout Scripture, and this is highlighted so powerfully in our text today, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a magnificent chapter, and it should actually be a constant companion of all of us. This is a chapter that we, we should just return to over and over and over and over again. So, Deuteronomy, Moses, what he's doing here, he is... They've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. He's reminding them of everything that's gone on for the last 40 years. And then he's telling them to always remember and never forget. Never forget. But again, this is not a simple mental exercise of recollection that he wants them going through. This is about ongoing participation in the trust and following of God that they learn both as individuals and collectively as a people through all their experiences with this God who loves them. So, let's notice this journey. Notice what Moses says about this journey. This journey through the wilderness was so they could learn some things. One of the things that they wanted to learn, that God wanted them to learn, is that they should follow God because His way is the way of life. Follow me so it might go well with you. It's the way of life. So follow God. That's one of the things he wanted them to learn. He also wanted them to learn that all that they had was from God. And so they should be humble and thankful and not think they did. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to even produce that wealth. Everything is from God. 
And so that journey through the wilderness was to teach his people that. They were also to learn that it is not just physical food at all, excuse me, that keeps them alive, but it's the very truth of God. And Moses is saying, you need to remember this. Not recollect it in your minds, but participate it in it now and the future, just as you participated it in the past for the last 40 years. Because here's the thing about the wilderness story that we sometimes forget. Yeah, sure, they were grumbling and they were this and they constantly were disobeying. But the reality is they ended up following God for 40 years. They came back to following. And Moses is saying, remember that and participate in it. That's the language of, of verse 1 and 6 through 9. Follow every command. Observe the commands of God. Do these things. Remembering is not a mental exercise. It's life. It's participating in, in this path. See, God knows that when we stop remembering in this fullest sense, in the fullest sense, not when, when we stop remembering things, but when we stop participating in, in our past, that's when we easily forget. And that is especially true when things are going great, which is why there is this Exhortation, it's an extended exhortation, almost pleading to not forget when things are good. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God because you stop participating. Stop memory. Stop remembering God. Do you see? And that's so easy, right? When things are great, you can fill in the modern day. It's easy to read this, and you know, when you read and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, that translates all the way to here and settle down and, well, herds and flocks, but 401ks and savings plans and stock portfolios. So, you know, you just bring it forward, and when life is easy, boy, it's easy to forget. Not forget, we all remember God, but we don't participate in it like we do when things aren't good, right? Like Dave was saying, for years he hasn't prayed, and then sometimes it's usually just when things are bad, I'm praying. That's just normal what we do. Participating and remembering and Moses is saying this. So, they're not going to mentally forget. But they're going to forget in the sense they're going to stop participating. So remember me, God cries out. Remember me. Always remember me. Participate in trusting me, following me, learning from me, walking in my way of life. That's what remembering God is. Remember, participating, entrusting, following, learning, walking. Now, I want to make a side note here because for some of us, myself included, the language in Deuteronomy 8 can be challenging, right? This is sometimes the language, the empirical tone of this language, the if-then of this language can lack accessibility for us. But remember, that is our own Greek minds doing to the text what the Hebrew mind never intended. Never intended. We have to try to get outside of our Greek-informed minds. And I know that's like well, that's stupid. That's like saying we have to learn how to live in water. I, I get how hard that is. But we have to, if we're going to engage this God at the level God wants us to engage Him, 
we have to get this whole transaction thing out of our minds. Despite the language seeming like it was written by Greeks, but it wasn't. It was written by Hebrews. There's no transaction going on. We have to get this whole if-then, this whole black-white thing out of our minds. We have to get the whole king-subject thing out of our minds when we approach Scripture. And that's especially difficult for us because most Christians are so informed by theology that was written 500 years ago during a king-servant system. And we rely so heavily on that theology. And some of it's wonderful. But they were drawing on life as they knew it. And it was no fun to live under kingship. I wasn't there, I don't know, but I'm just guessing from reading. It was no fun. Because kings could just say whatever they wanted to say. We have to get out of that when we're approaching scripture. And we have to get out of the whole moral reductionism thing, as though this is just a morality tale that the Bible is. And we have to try to enter this mindset, God loves us, and this is his invitation to us to live life the way it works. This is not a distant God, like so many ruthless kings can be, that demands for some unknown reason to be obeyed. This, like as though he's going to make a stupid law and then exact vengeance on us simply because we make him upset by not following This is God who loves us, laying down the rules for his own creation, rules that are life, and invites us to know him and follow him because we trust him, because we trust he loves us. So here's a couple illustrations that I'm going to give. And the first one is quite personal because it's just another, you know, it's confession time for me, which I tend to do a lot here. It's good for my soul. When you go to the doctor and she tells you what to do, I bet the majority of you, most of the time, follow what she tells you. That's called trust. That's just a perfect illustration of what trust is. She checks you out. She says, here's what you need to do. And you obey. So, to my shame, and there's the confession part, I am often much more trusting of my doctor than I am of God. Often. Often, often, often. February 2000, I was getting my 35th well visit, 35-year-old well visit, the time when they start telling you certain things that they haven't told you up until then. <laughs> and I was very unhealthy at that time in my life. And my doctor, who had been taking care of me since I was little, little, he said, David, here's the deal. you got a baby, and you got another one on the way, and you're unhealthy. And if you keep this up, who knows? In six months, I obeyed him so strictly. In six months, I was not as unhealthy as I was. And 16 years later, I am still obeying that man. I wish that was my testimony about obeying God. My marriage would be better. My parenting would be better. My pastoring would be better. My coaching would be better. I would be a better neighbor. I would be a better son. I would be a better brother. I would be a better friend. But I don't trust God the way I trust my doctor. 
That's one illustration of what God is trying to just ask us. This is how you live. I made you. I know. I know. And I know. Gazillions of years after I've created you, it's really twisted in your minds. And I know religion is really twisted in your minds more than anything else. But just trust me. I just love you. Just follow me. Here's another illustration. This might help for those that don't resonate with that first one. But remember, whenever you're trying to illustrate the divine, it's a little difficult. I wish Tito was here for this one, though. So, you buy a Ford truck. And it runs on unleaded gasoline. But you pull up to the pumps. It's been a tight month. And you notice that for some reason right now, diesel is really cheap. I noticed this the other day. I was like, wait, diesel always used to be more expensive than what I'm paying. And you're free to do whatever you want. Save some money and put the diesel in the truck. And you get a few miles down the road and things aren't going so well. Now... Is that because you pissed off Mr. Ford? No, it's not because you pissed off Mr. Ford. In fact, I bet if Mr. Ford was standing there watching, we'd have been like, no, no, no. Or maybe not because he's greedy and would have been like, yes, yes, now you're going to have to buy another truck for me. God loves us. Just put the right gas in. Love others. Follow. Obey. Know this. Know God loves us the way your doctor loves you. And suddenly we understand the power and the beauty and the majesty of chapters like Deuteronomy chapter 8. What a magnificent chapter. But oh, I'm sorry for those of you who have had religious leaders turn that into something ugly and gross and destructive and just sap all the joy out of following Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Get back to it. Deuteronomy 8 is awesome. So, remembering, remembering is truly a wonderful and most important part of our lives. And now I want to shift a little bit now that that's sort of all been background to shift to talk about this. Because remembering might not be any more important than right here in church during communion when we remember God and His love for us. For we are participating in the ongoing reality of our salvation. That's what we're doing. We're partaking of the communion meal. It's not about simply recollecting in our minds that Jesus died on a cross. It's so much bigger than that. So much. John Flavel, good old Puritan, he wrote this about the difference between two different kinds of remembering. He called one speculative and one affectionate. A speculative remembrance is only to call to mind the history of such a person and his sufferings, that Christ was once put to death in the flesh. An affectionate remembrance is when we so call Christ in his death to our minds as to feel the powerful impressions thereof upon our hearts. That's such good Puritan language. But I love that. We feel it, if you will, our need again for his grace. That's why I love Sunday so much. I know my need of God's grace is ongoing and never-ending. And so we feel that need the way we felt it the first time, and we receive it again as we receive the bread and wine. 
And you know, this is one of the major reasons we need to participate maybe not say participate, I've been saying that a lot. We need to embrace this theology of the table. Okay? There are a couple major theologies of communion in Christianity. And often I get asked to help explain Cana's theology of communion, which, by the way, is not Cana's theology of communion. It's St. Paul's theology of communion. But I want you to think about something. When we are beholden to a theology of communion that says we need to be worthy by our own living and our own actions of this table, if that's the theology we hold on to, and that's the theology I was brought up with and taught and believed for a long time, and it took years for God to break me down because I held on to that bastion of truth until God really broke me down. And this is part of that process of breaking me down with this understanding. Think about this. If we have to be worthy by our own living and actions of this table, then the entire concept of remembering, as we have just understood it through the Jewish understanding of remembering, is no longer part of communion. The remembering we're doing at this table is our need of grace. Well, if we don't need grace because we're worthy of the table, remembrance goes away. There's no remembrance going on. This is the whole reason we're given this table. Do this in remembrance of me. Participating in our salvation over and over and over again because we need grace and God is God of grace. To shift out of that. The table becomes something much different than the feast that Jesus Christ left for us. A feast that says we are not worthy and we can never be worthy of this table ever. So how can we participate and remember that truth if we change the entire meaning of this table and use it as, a, as an identifying mark, as something that excludes of a barrier? Is it funny? Tables can be like that, can't they? You ever sit across a table from a banker that's about to tell you you just got denied for your loan? That is a barrier. We can sit across the table from friends and share bread and wine. Jesus never used tables as barriers. And he certainly didn't use the table he left for us as a barrier to anyone. I like the way Dustin Crow says it. Dustin Crow says, When the Lord's Supper is served, believers experience an affectionate remembrance because the gospel is recalled and reapplied. I love that, reapplied. We remember the grace purchased at Christ's death is the same grace we need when we come to the table. We, all of us. I don't care if you were great this week, like Ian was, or if you were horrible like I was. We need this table. We need this grace. The gospel rhythm, I really like this, isn't one and done, but rinse and repeat. <laughs> rinse and repeat, that's the gospel rhythm. What's that song we sing about dancing to the rhythm? The rhythms of your grace? Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Isn't that the line, rhythm of your grace? I love that. Oh, your love is extravagant. Your love is extravagant. 
The rhythm of your grace. I love that. The rhythm of communion. The rhythm of the gospel is rinse and repeat. Oh, that's so hopeful. So hopeful. We're in the middle of a massive soccer tournament right now. I just I missed the, the first game this morning. But yesterday, I was so horrible to one of my kids. Oh, my gosh. wasn't even... If, if you don't know soccer, it doesn't matter. But anyway, their team crossed the ball way into our middle. And, and you go over with these 16-year-olds all the time. When the ball's coming in the air, you just head it up. Just head it up. Nope. So he goes like this, puts his foot up somehow, hits his knee, goes in on that. So instead of me being in the rhythms of grace, I'm like, Andrew, great goal. <laughs> oh, his father. He could feel him like ready to kill me. <laughs> but I was, I was, it was horrible. Horrible coach. I, I, of course he knew what he did wrong right then. And all he needed was someone to say, Andrew, don't worry about it. You're fine. It happens to all of us. Which I said later, but... <laughs> but see, if I would follow God, if I would trust God, I would have been in the moment. I would have been in the moment. Where was I? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> This growing awareness of what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves daily or to apply the gospel might give us some insight as to how we look to Christ and again receive His grace as we eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord's Supper. Because every time we take communion, the gospel is proclaimed and we believe and embrace it again. In other words, we remember. Amen. And then we go out into the week and get all dirty and come back and do it again. I love communion when it's understood this way. Not as a reward for being a good doobie, but as God's ultimate love because we need it. Remembering His death, we enter again into the reality of our need of His grace. The assurance, and this is the key, that He has given us His grace and the hope that He always will. And for all of us, living in this world of so much heartache and pain and loss, this hope that we celebrate and live into by remembering is the most important part of remembering. You see, as Jesus said in Mark's gospel, he said, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Which means a new kingdom of God is coming and his death on the cross was not the end. And Paul understood, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're not just proclaiming death, we're proclaiming ultimately resurrection. Remembering Jesus is remembering his resurrection. Remembering Jesus is participating in the truth that death is not the end, life is. And as we trust, follow, and remember Jesus Christ, we are participating in the hope of resurrection. So I pray, as we move into our Memorial Day celebrations, those of us who this weekend are remembering loved ones who have passed. And some of us are remembering loved ones who have passed very recently and it's very poignant. Others of us are remembering loved ones who passed a long time ago, but it's no less poignant. So, my prayer is that remembering is full of the future hope of resurrection so that even in our sorrow for missing our loved ones, we will know God's marvelous work of giving life in our past, giving life to us now, and giving life to us forever. Thank God He remembers us. 
might we all remember him.